The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. At this point, if I had any budget for such things, I'd be using the Beatles' Money or the Pink Floyd track of the same name to introduce our topic, because my guest and I will be discussing the impact of COVID-19 on people's money management and how technology can help. But I don't have the resources, so if you could just hum them in the background, that'd be a very great help. At this point, regular listeners will know I normally stop and do a quick bio of myself and hint ever so gently that if you have a conference coming up, I can be available as MC or speaker. Then again, just about nobody's paying face-to-face conferences at the moment, so I'll just say that if your job means you need to do press interviews or you want help with online presentation skills, you can find me at remotemediatraining.com. I've been a technology journalist for over 30 years, and I know where the traps are, and I've been training remotely for over 10 years. But that's more than enough self-publicity. My guest for this episode has experience in sales and internet marketing. She is an experienced leader who helps companies develop, implement, and optimize their sales and online marketing strategies. She is owner and CEO of discountvouchers.co.uk, but she's here as CSO, that's Chief Sales Officer of Upside, and her name is Catherine Wright. Catherine, welcome. Hi, really great to meet you, Guy. Thank you very much, and thank you for making the time. So tell us a bit about yourself and Upside and why you need to uh, be looking at your money right at the moment. What Upside aims to do, or or certainly what we noticed, is that people have a real problem with spending time with their money, you know, having to look at where you could perhaps save some money. And actually, when it comes down to it, people don't want to have to sacrifice anything to save. So we looked at ways that people could release money from the spending they're already doing. And my background is in affiliate and email marketing, mainly with discount vouchers. And what we realized is there's this money that exists that normally gets paid as an affiliate revenue or an advertising revenue, or even on the card exchange when you're paying with your card. There's all these little bits of money. And we actually thought if we can release that from people spending, we could find the money to save without them having to make any habitual changes at all. I'd like to take a step back from your specific offering at the moment because there's an awful lot going on with people's money. I should just say to place this in context uh, because we are recording in advance that at the moment it's the middle of June, the shops are just starting to open, but there's been an awful lot of people spending an awful lot of money with their credit cards or their debit cards online during lockdown. So I just wondered, I keep reading that we're facing some sort of tsunami of debt following uh, coronavirus, and that's assuming it goes away rather than comes back and hits us harder. So I wonder if you could tell me a bit about that, how big the problem is? Many believed that we were headed for a recession this spring anyway, without COVID-19. And then it was worse than probably anybody could have imagined, but for different reasons. The world just really stopped moving, which is quite different from a normal recession. And so what we've noticed is this complete polarization. We've got some people who've been able to save more money than ever. I think in April, there was 7.4 billion pounds paid off in the UK from credit cards and loans, but the national debt didn't drop. So it means that there are other people at the end of the scale that took out loans and used their credit cards more. So the problem really isn't that, you know, we we know that there's always going to be a group of people who can't save. um, And it's always going to be very difficult for them to make any changes that the actual issue is that people who can save don't. And there seems to be a lot of inertia around whether it's worth saving or not. So the problem that we've seen caused by COVID has been, you know, on several levels. and, And unfortunately, it's affected 
people who already were struggling the most. I think there's a lot of other people have found that because they've not been having to buy lunch or their coffee every day, lots of people have actually found they've saved an awful lot. But for those people who aren't saving, who haven't saved, isn't this one of those issues where it's a bit late to be starting with the advice now? My fault, I'm scheduling the show. But if, the, uh, if someone has, uh, could have saved a lot of money since, say, March and hasn't done so, you can't go back to March. So what can people do about it now? Absolutely. Yeah, I really agree with you. It's never helpful, is it, you know, to, to say, well, this is what you should have done. I mean, I think that would have been the, the best time and the second best time is now um, to start looking at what people can do to start saving money. And even if you look at later in life, there are various different things that people can do to start building up pension savings, ISAs, and really, you know, to try to make their money go as far as possible. And that there's a lot of ways that technology can help with that as well. But I think first and foremost, it starts with looking at how you spend your hard-earned money and, you know, what the best way to get return on that. Yes, I've seen a number of tips online, one of which I've gone through myself, which is have a look at all those little subscriptions you've got on the internet over the last 20 years or so and see how many of them are still actually in use. And, you know, it can be quite horrifying the amount of money you can accidentally get rid of. Is that the sort of thing you're thinking of as a starting point? Absolutely. I think when there are small incremental amounts coming out of your bank, people might not even realise that they're spending, I think on average, about £25 a month on subscriptions that they're not using. So it's definitely a great place to start. And yeah, you're right. There's so many different tips and tricks. But I think the first thing is to be honest, people need to be honest with themselves and they need to take a really good look at, at their bank accounts. There are some great tools that you can actually use to be able to see you know, what you're spending on food, entertainment uh, travel and uh, you know obviously there's other things like discount vouchers cashback sites different ways that it, when you do have to spend you know we know that people have to spend on essentials and essentials certainly saw a huge lift during covid compared to everything else and especially fashion that dropped so where you do have to spend you know make sure that you're you're spending in the right way take the time and actually Time is where we find that people manage to, to save money the most. If you take the time to find the deals, it can make a massive difference to your outgoings. Now, this is, of course, a primarily a technology podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just in case there's any bewildered uh, listeners at the moment, we do. Uh, part of your, your pitch to me was, or your associate's pitch to me, was uh, that this had a lot to do with open banking, data, financial technology, and, or, or fintech, uh, and how they were going to have an impact in um, save, helping us save money. So could you give, I mean, that's a huge question, I know, but <laughs> give me a few ideas as to uh, what, uh, what people can do with technology to help maybe regulate their habits. I was quite interested you started off by suggesting that uh, you could change the way you save without changing your habits. That sounds a good idea. Yeah, and actually research has shown time and time again, you know, if you get somebody to do something for 90 days, they're likely to adopt it as a habit. But then under any duress, people tend to just revert back to what they were doing before. So you're kind of either on or, or off the wagon. And we do think that when you start to save, that it becomes quite addictive and you want to carry on saving. But it's the inertia around how much people are saving. So if I just kind of zoom out and talk a little bit about data and what it really all means to the end customer, all these things, data, big data, open banking and fintech, they just really all add up to the same thing, which is a customer having more choice. So the banks have been forced to open up and allow technology companies access to their APIs, which means that you're not just playing in a space now where there's all the 
big usual banks, you know, you've got challenger banks. But what it also means is that we have access to data where we can actually work with brands to try and better segment their customers and to understand them, um, which has been done a bit in the past, but, but just not really accurately. And the whole thing just adds up to mean that the customers win out of these advancements. So some apps so far have worked on trying to round up your money. So whereas you used to get home, have a giant bottle or jar and you would empty all your, your coppers or anything less than 10p in there. And at the end of the year, see what that had added up to. You can get apps to do that for you now. Lots of roundup apps. You can also get apps that will aggregate and tell you last month you spent this much on subscriptions and you spent this much on coffee just to give you the visibility of where your money's going. But what we really wanted to use the technology to do is say, carry on doing that. We don't want you to give up your coffee. You know, there's things that we work so that we can afford things and you don't want to have to scrimp and save. So what we want to do is use that technology to go to some brands and say, you know, these, this is a loyal customer. They shopped with you 20 times in the last 12 months. And for that brand to be able to reward that customer with cash back on every single purchase they make. So you carry on spending and we'll find you money out of the spending that you're doing without having to change any habits. To be fair, that's going to mean you're going to get claw back less money than you, you would spend if you'd actually taken a flask of coffee into work. I mean, <laughs> but of course, you don't get the, the whole ritual of the Starbucks thing or whatever, and other coffee places are available, <laughs> uh, of course. But you know, you, there is that thing that I think we're probably an awful lot of us with certain habits are seriously missing, even if we do know that uh, £3 odd is very expensive for a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that really gets me to my next question. What's the actual problem that we're addressing here? I mean, have, how many households have got insufficient savings? How much do we all need? It's a pretty scary figure, actually. There are over 12 million households in the UK uh, with fewer than £1,500 worth of savings. So really, that means no safety net for a new boiler. Something happens with your car or a month out of work, for whichever reason that might be. And, you know, that's why the government's had to step in to help and pay so many people's wages. It just, you know, certainly for my generation, my parents kind of grew up with saving and our CEO and founder, Andres, is from South Africa. And when he grew up, they had very, very high interest rates. And, you know, it was kind of really bought, built into people to save, save, save because you got so much return on your money. I think he's mentioned figures around 17%. So they put money in their savings and they just saw them add up. And I think the general inertia in the UK is around we're not really getting very much in terms of interest on our savings so people think they might as well spend it and there's a kind of you only live once as well people would rather have an experience than sacrifice going out with their friends and save that money instead well you do only live once with a, as a man in my 50s i can't help but notice that the 60s is the next big milestone and that came around quite quickly as far as i can see i'm sure it's the same speed as, as it is for everybody else but it can catch up if you don't actually address it earlier on appreciate that so what action can people take immediately and how can the technology help you've mentioned a few things are there any specifics that people could address if you were to do one thing tomorrow the one thing i would recommend doing is looking at the bank account and where the money is going right now as you pointed out earlier there's some really small amounts but they, they all add up over the course of a year and actually will take quite a long time when we're buying something car insurance etc to go out and compare all of the different prices just to get a 20 pound saving but we don't tend to notice an odd two pounds going out of our bank account which of course is 24 pounds over the year it doesn't take long for you to find several of those and you could be saving around 100 pounds 
The other important thing to do is to look at any bills that you're spending out on. Worst case that I ever heard of, I won't mention who the insurance company was, but somebody just hadn't changed their home insurance for probably 10 plus years and they were paying around £600. When the comparison was done on a comparison website, they saw that the same, exactly the same offer, maybe even had some other things included in it, you know, emergency repairs and things, was £140. So, you know, the company was actually, because they'd never addressed it, they'd never tried to change or move or find something cheaper, the price was just going up every year. So they were spending £500 more than they needed to. But isn't that just a case of companies marketing with uh, an introductory offer? That's all it should have been. You know, I think even the next year, it should have only been that much. It's because it was left for so long that those incremental additions every year, you know, it's it's probably very unusual for a customer to leave it so long. And yeah, it's an introductory offer. But what we want to encourage brands to do is to continue to give that great offer throughout the year by giving a loyal customer cash back instead of punishing a loyal customer by thinking oh well they haven't asked for a discount so let's carry on charging them more so really go and have have a look at your bills have a look at bill switching and certainly during covid more people have switched utility provider than in any other three-month period although there is more to it than money sometimes if you've got something like an insurance or an emergency breakdown service from a gas company or something like that the fact that you've used it and you know that they'll be there the following day regardless of circumstances or that uh, I, I had a I genuinely did have a road accident in which uh, was not nothing to do with me because my car was parked outside my house at the time when I called the insurance company they told me I was asking them for insufficient money because I'd forgotten some of the bits I had put it put on the car when I ordered it it wasn't anything flash but they did send me a thousand pounds more than I'd actually asked for so guess who's not budging from that uh, insurance no matter how yeah. much they charge me because there is more to it than uh, than purely the financial transaction I suppose is what I'm saying Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, always check the small print. If something's an awful lot cheaper, it might be that legal cover isn't included, especially with car insurance or one might offer you breakdown cover. But I think the comparison websites have become really clever at, you know, making sure that you're shown all those things at high level. But yeah, you know, same with companies, great services is the best way to protect your business, really. Absolutely. Another one, a little tip that I could throw in, and I'd love to know if there's an app that will actually help you sort this one out, is to see if you're paying for anything twice. Gadget insurance from your bank, also from your insurer, also from, you know, perhaps you're, if you're in the AA, I'm, I don't know if there's uh, anything like that in there, but I'm certain that there's breakdown cover that's also covered by my motor insurance and things like that. And if I could just sort out how much, you know, whether I'm actually double paying for things. Mm -hmm. So the great thing with open banking is that we do get to see spends that are made within the same industry. What we would be able to do is say it is advised that you go and check those, but without seeing the paperwork, we wouldn't know, you know, especially I'm the same with my bank account. I get travel insurance and travel insurance and mobile insurance as well. So I wouldn't want to be paying for those separately. So all we would know is that you are making a payment to people in the same space, but at the moment we wouldn't know what your kind of small print on that paperwork is. But even just making people aware of that and to go and check it is really useful. You've mentioned open banking a couple of times. Could you possibly explain for the listeners exactly what that means? Sure. So the banks obviously see every penny that comes in and out of your account. And some legislation was passed to say that that information should be made available to other tech companies, obviously in a completely secure manner. 
And you'll find there's a few startups at the moment that generally challenger banks who are trying to get people to move over to them and they can move much faster. If you're a startup, you can move much faster than, than a huge company that's been going for hundreds of years and has a lot of bureaucracy in it. So what we're seeing in the tech space are some really great solutions. So with Monzo, for example, you can put your money into different pots. So I've got friends who have pots for different hobbies, perhaps different money they've earned as a freelancer compared to their normal bank account. And again, just, just mentally, it helps people to break out their spending and to understand where their money's going. And open banking really hasn't been leveraged as much as it could be right now. So people, brands have always segmented their customers and tried to say, well, if you're in your 30s and you're a female, this is what you're likely to be interested in. And the data that we get from open banking just means that we can go a level or three deeper than that. So we can say, well, what we know about you is that you've shopped at Mothercare, you shop at Sainsbury's once a week, but you get your petrol from Morrison's. And we can start to build up a really great image of what a customer looks like and completely personalize the offers and deals that get shown to them. And that's, you know, through obviously layers of technology that enable, first of all, that data to come to us, and secondly, for that data to be locked away and completely secure. Okay, now we're talking about saving money, we're talking about putting money away, but we're in June, and this is likely to go out in uh, very late July, but at the moment it's June when we're recording, the shops are just starting to open again, and the government is urging us all to go out and spend, spend, spend. So how do we offset reviving the economy against saving more? That's in really crude terms, I realise. Sure. Seeing uh, some of the images of the queues <laughs> outside some of the retailers, there are definitely people who don't need convincing. And I know that that's a, there's a lot of people whose children have grown exponentially in in three months and they were desperate to go out and get them some new clothes that fitted them. But in general, you know, I think... I think people do want to spend and they do want to get out there. And yeah, it's really important for the economy that money starts to go around again. The worst thing would be if we had stagnation. But you're right, you know, we, we don't want to encourage it and people to, to not be sensible about it or to get themselves into any debt. I think that's where like Christmas, basically Christmas 2020 is going to be a real telling time for, for the retailers. So that's, the summer is normally a bit quieter in terms of retail and most retailers have their, their year backloaded. So uh, there's also going to be lots of stock. So at, at the moment, although we're only just about to go into summer, retailers are going to be receiving in their autumn winter stock. So they've basically lost out on an entire season of shifting stock. So what it does mean, <laughs> unfortunately for the retailers, they're going to be discounting even deeper but they're going to need to free up that space. And for customers, it does mean there are going to be some really great bargains. So it could be worth shopping now for Christmas and presents and everything else to go out and get those bargains now. But again, we would recommend trying to be as clever as possible about that, using cashback where possible, make sure that you're getting discount uh, codes or using referrer codes. So if you are going to spend, do it in the most sensible way possible. Now, you mentioned the fact that there are so many households who have less than £1,500 in savings. So what happens if we don't change our ways? Uh, are we talking about households who are not going to be have hot water, things like that? I mean, what is the worst case scenario if we don't get a grip on our money? Well, I mean, I think the, the kind of falls that we've seen, as I said, I think we were heading for a recession anyway they're not going to stop and each time they happen 
well certainly you know it's predicted that they're going to be bigger each time they do happen um, and the polarization is likely to become more and more exaggerated if you're exhausted and you're working every hour sometimes two jobs the last thing you're going to want to do is sit down and go through your bank account and have a look at where you've been spending money and then the people who do have the time to do it just don't want to because it's not a fun <laughs> activity to undertake so yeah i think it would be daft to not expect the same thing's going to happen and really i think people should think about an amount that would help them to sleep easy at night Normally, we'd say to have at least a month's worth of cost. So if you look at what it would cost your household to run, at least have a month's worth available and preferably more to make sure that, that if anything did happen, that you would at least to be able to afford outgoings if you needed to cut any luxury spends. That makes a lot of sense. Final question, really. Where can people find out more about yourself and Upside? Yeah, so uh, the website, upsidesaving.com. Uh, if people want to be able to get on for we are going into beta, which means that we're looking for for people who, who really want to save money from their current spending and also to give us feedback. We want to make this as frictionless and as easy as possible for people to save effortlessly. Um, so there is a waiting list, but if people go head over to the site and sign up, we'll let them in as soon as we can roll that out to everybody. And we're also on socials as Upside Saving on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Catherine Wright of Upside, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, Guy. Great to speak to you. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Take care.